It's good to be back. Are you having a wonderful day? Yes. Are you blessed and highly flavored? Amen. Amen. Do you know whatever you say by faith will happen? So how many, how many mixers of faith do I have? I got one. I got two. I got to see another hand. I see four. We have the ability to mix our faith with whatever we want. We can mix it with doubt or we can mix it with God. Amen. Whatever we mix it with is going to happen. Amen. I read a quote the other, I think it was a couple of days ago, that angels worship God because they see him. Amen. We worship God because we believe him. Amen. They do it by fact. We do it by faith. Amen. What do you think God's most impressed with? Fact or faith? Amen. Faith moves heaven. That I'm not preaching. My wife's going to come. She has an absolutely astounding word tonight. So I told her she must preach. It is a breakthrough word. It comes with the testimony of Jesus. How many know the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy? So if you want, you can go ahead and receive the testimony and have breakthrough. It doesn't matter in what area. There's a breakthrough anointing that we want to release tonight. It's really important that as we preach and as she preaches, that you understand that in itself, that act is a breakthrough in your life. Whether it's financial, relation, business, whatever, it doesn't matter. Spiritual, there's a breakthrough coming. And so I'm the warm-up. So I'm going to warm you up. I'm not doing a very good job. So there's things in the back. When I was here last time, how, how long ago was it? Was, was it a year? A year ago. I've changed a lot. I got a new do. It's my Hollywood look. What do you think? It's Hollywood, baby. My wife likes it because it shows a little bit of this stuff that I don't like. Gray, yeah, shows wisdom. It's a high price to pay for being wise. That's all I got to say. So it's good to be back. And uh, I have a little small word for you before I do that. We have stuff in the back. If you don't have this book, please get it. It's, uh, it barbecues religious cows on evangelism. Guaranteed. And then we have some downloads too. We don't sell CDs anymore. We do downloads. This is the 21st century. So there's wonderful things. One, one I want to highlight is, is Dream. My wife and I, tag, we tag team that one, right? It was a Bethel church on a Sunday night. It's about... Not only how to dream, but how to have your dreams unfold. So it gives you some real key um, things on how to make your dreams come true. Now I'm going to read for you. And I'm not going to tell you where it's at. No. Because Christians do this. They say, turn in your Bible to so-and-so or your iPad. You guys don't have iPads. Okay. So, and then I read... I finish reading, you continue to read. And you do your whole devotions for the week as I'm still talking. So it's in the Gospels. It says, it's in the red. That means Jesus is talking. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Anybody? It doesn't feel good, does it? Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you emotionally? Been shipwrecked? You didn't think you were going to make it. How about financially? Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? So it doesn't matter if it's physical or spiritual or emotional or mental. To have that breath taken away, what's next? The disciples had their wind knocked out of them big time by Jesus. He said this. Where'd it go? It was right there. Oh. I, I'm not going to tell you. He said, little kid. He's talking to his disciples. Little children. That's crazy. Little children, I shall not be with you a little while. I shall be with you just a little bit longer. You'll seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then he says it again a few verses later. I'm going, you can't come with me. But afterwards, you're going to follow me. 
And then Peter said, no, 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 I'm coming with you no matter where you go. I'm coming. Then he goes on to give them a promise. He said, Let's, let not your heart be troubled. Now, if you can put yourself real quickly before my wife comes in, up. Now, I'm going to describe my wife tonight as fire and ice. She's going to fire up your spirit and bring refreshing to your soul. That's fire and ice. That's good. So I'm excited. I'm going to go fast because I'm ready for breakthrough. Disciples were with Jesus three years, night and day, every meal. They slept, ate, breathed in Jesus. All of a sudden, they had been taught prior to this that when the Messiah comes, he will reestablish or get back the kingdom to the Jews. So they were expecting a Messiah that would take down the Roman Empire. You follow my training? So they knew Jesus was the Messiah, and he was coming to eradicate, vindicate the nation of the Jews. So their idea of Jesus was a lot different than what Jesus came for. And then he said, where I'm going, I'm leaving, and you can't follow me. Now, if you had been with him for three years, constantly, all of a sudden, out of the blue, he says, I'm out of here, you can't follow. It would feel like you got the wind knocked out of you. He would feel like, wait a minute, I've, I've served you three years. I've done all, I've cleaned fish. I've done all this stuff. I passed out 5,000 fish. And you're, what? You're leaving. See, there are times and seasons in our life that feel hopeless or we feel abandoned or feel impossible or discouraged or the wind knocked out. He goes on in this next chapter. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in my father, believe in me. Then he goes on to talk about the future. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. So what is the key? When I'm hit and I'm knocked out, I'm knocked down, I'm discouraged, I'm suicidal, I'm all of these things. I want to quit, give up, throw in the towel, this is too much. What do I do? What did Jesus do? He says, I'm out of here, see ya, have fun. He reminded them what it's all about, eternity. He said, but don't worry, keep this in mind. I'm going to go. Later on, he promises a helpmate. The helper, the Holy Ghost. But right then he says, I want you to focus on the main thing, eternity. Does right now what you're going through, is that going to keep you out? So when I'm going through a tough time, lots of you here are going through a tough time and you need breakthrough. What we have to focus on is heaven. If you keep heaven in mind or eternity in mind, it puts all the other stuff where it's supposed to be. I'm only going through a season of tough time, but God, you're good. Oh, God, you're faithful. You already bankrupted heaven for me. You gave Jesus your son. And Jesus wanted to make sure they kept their focus on the real deal, which is eternity. Because I'm going to make a place for you. I'm going to go prepare it just for you. So as my wife comes, what I want you to do is believe Jesus via the Holy Ghost for breakthrough. Not just a nice little sermon. Not just a nice little encouraging word. But a change. A difference. And then when she's done, I don't know what the Holy Ghost is going to do. But I want you to keep your eyes focused on the main thing. Heaven in mind. Amen? So would you give it up for my wife, please? Okay. Hi, guys. I'm going to look at you. Oh, you're right.
Am I making you uncomfortable yet? Like the kid in the class, like, don't look at me, teacher. Don't look at me. What's your name? Forgive me. Yes. Yeah. Gary. Gary. Okay. Just thought I'd ask. All righty. Well, I'm going to get started. I have nothing written down. I'm not looking at notes. I, I have this here in case I, something comes to mind and I don't want to forget it and I write it down. So how many of you have heard us preach this weekend? A couple of you. A couple of you. Okay. All right. Were you all here Friday night? Was it Friday night? Convergence on Friday night. Okay. So you guys are going to hear a little bit of what you heard Friday night, but then you're going to get something else rad that we're going to do to end tonight. How many of you like getting prophetic words? It's good. Some of you are like, no. (laughs) Having trouble with the first word. (laughs) Go. Well, that's my teaser. That's my carrot to say, hang on. Because I think that's how we're going to end the night. So we're going to prophesy over every single one of you. Uh huh. Y'all are going, oh my gosh. <laughs> so make yourself cozy, baby. Okay. <clears throat> I'm in Exodus. Do I keep getting louder and quieter, or is that just me being loud? That's me being loud. Would you like me to like try to keep a good, even tone for you guys? That'd be helpful, wouldn't it? Yeah, they're like, yeah, just a little bit. That'd actually help out. Thanks. Okay, I'm in Exodus 3. <clears throat> How many know the story? Moses and the burning bush. Yeah, pretty common story. Okay, so bush is on fire, right? But it's not being consumed. Angel in the bush. So it says, Then Moses said, I will turn aside and, and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn? So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to a land, uh, to a land that is good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. How many of you have felt like you have been recently or are currently in a season of oppression, hardship. How many of you felt like that? Okay. So, I feel like this this trip in Dallas, the word that we keep getting is breakthrough. So, let me rephrase it. How many of you feel like you need breakthrough in your life? Okay. And so, if you don't, that's awesome. Pray for the rest of us. It's rad. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor. One, two, three, go. And so oftentimes when we go places, we don't, we don't prepare a message before we go. Sometimes we, we will, but for the most part we don't because we want to we get in the building. We want to get in the place. We want to find out, okay, God, what is it that you have to say for this house, for this place, for these people? And, and sometimes you're preaching to one person. Sometimes the entire message is for one person. And so I can't prepare a message for a body when maybe this one person comes in and then the whole message is for that person. So, the message that has been constant for the last several services that we have done, and, it's, and it doesn't normally happen that way. Normally it's different for every place, but since we have been in DFW has been a message of breakthrough. For us, um, many of you know we were here last year. I'm going to take you on a quick journey of my personal story and then um, tell you why it's significant that I'm sharing it with you. 
In the last 20 months of our life, January of 2013, my mom passed away from breast cancer. Um, fast forward 18 months, and one day later, my dad passed away. Y'all remember my daddy that was here last time we were here? He sat right here on the front. He passed away on July 28th. Thank you, Melody. On July 28th, so, so 18 months and one day after my mom. In the, middle of those two th in the middle of those two things happening, we had two deferred adoptions with two sets of twins, and we had four babies that didn't come home to us, and we had our youngest, Sadie, our little sweetie that was up here. She was born profoundly deaf. And so for us, it was just this, it was just this year and a half of feeling like, just feeling loss, just feeling pain, just feeling hardship, just feeling heaviness. And yet through it all, we were able to look at the timeline of this journey and see God's hand of such strong faithfulness in the midst of it. And now having come out the other side, I'd say, you know, I'd walk through the last 18 months from now till eternity if it meant I got to know his heart the way I know his heart now in comparison to how I knew it 20 months ago. See, what's amazing to me is the fact that the moon and the stars we know so much about. As, as a culture, not as a culture, but as a, as a people, as a society. We know a lot about the moon and the stars. Um, we know about the planets. We know about the galaxies. But over 80% of our oceans are undiscovered. Because going to the highs is easy, but going to the depths is hard. And going through, going through seasons of change and hardship and overcoming and walking through sand and, and, and feeling like you're going one step forward and then going two steps back, that's what gives you the grit and that's what takes you to the depths. It's when you can understand that your sacrifice of praise in those moments is taking you to a new depth in his heart that you couldn't touch otherwise. You look up any great man or woman of God. How many of y'all have heard of the book God's Generals? How many of you have heard of it? I highly recommend the book. It's an amazing book about just these phenomenal men and women of God and just the hardship that they had to overcome. Now, does God give hardship? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But what sets, what sets them apart is their ability to walk out hardship and keep going to the depths. One of the things that the pastor said tonight during worship that just struck me was, he said, I don't remember how you phrased it, but he said something like, we say yes. Okay, I want you all to understand why that's significant. How many of y'all have ever been to a wedding or are married? Most of you. Yeah, anyone not? I could tell you how it goes. It's like you stand up. You've never been to a wedding? Aww. Aww, Okay. That's cute, though. That's fun. <laughs> so at a wedding, you know, husband, wife, pastor, or whomever, officiator. It's okay. It's not going to bother me at all. I've got a billion kids. I'm used to just keep going. So mo uh, mom, dad, husband, wife, or soon-to-be, pastor, right? Okay. So do you take, do you take yes? For better or worse, in sickness and health. Y'all heard that line before? For better or worse. I think it's kind of a stupid line, but beside the point. What you're doing is you're standing in front of that person, you're holding their hands, and you say, I'm saying yes to you. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what for worse means. And normally when you're standing there in this gorgeous white gown, you're thinking of fairy tales and roses and butterflies, and you're not thinking about hardship or having a baby born deaf or both of your parents dying before you're 29 years old or um, going through crazy financial loss or going through miscarriages, or going through whatever it is that you go through in a marriage. For some, going through affairs. I mean, for a lot, going through pornography addictions. When you're standing there and you're like, I say yes. But yet, somehow, with the Holy Spirit, when you go through those hardships, you can be brought back to this place of, no, I made this commitment to you. I committed to you. I remember when our first son, Cade, was born, and people told me all these things before I had him, you know, they, all the things. That they, first of all, they tell you all their labor horror stories, which just makes me want to punch them. I think it's <laughs> stupid. Beside the point. But then they also tell you, like, it's just a love like you've never felt before. And, they, you know, have you all heard that before? Especially people that don't have kids. They're like, oh, 
when you're pregnant, like, oh, it's just the most amazing thing in the world. And I remember feeling like, yeah, I don't really want that. Like, I don't really want to feel that. Because I felt like I didn't want my, I, I felt like somehow they were making me feel like I was going to love my kid more than my husband and even more than my God. And it was like, yeah, I just, I just don't really, I just don't really want that. So I was even a little scared, you know, like that moment when the baby comes out and the angels sing. No one tells you they're purple. <laughs> they're not all that cute. Mine looked kind of like a combination of the bitter beer man and a Sharpay puppy dog, you know, with like too much skin for their body. That was what my first one looked like. Now, don't get me wrong. He's adorable now. But when he first came out, he was, he was cute, like a little Sharpay puppy. was cute. But I remember, you know, we did the whole thing. The whole family came in the room, and we all passed him around, and it was super fun. And, and then everyone left, and it was like midnight. And we got into our mom-baby room, and it was just me and my husband and our new little itty-bitty peanut baby. He was tiny. And I remember holding him, and I looked at my husband, and I said, I still choose you. And it wasn't like something that I needed to say to make him feel more secure in our relationship. It was something like, it was this revelation of the fact that, like, wow, like, our lives have just really, really changed a lot, and it's for the better, but I still choose you. And so when you go through stages and seasons of life, whether they're phenomenal or whether they're hard, they change who you are. Most often, they concrete you to your convictions. What is your convictions? Jesus died on the cross. He's good, faithful, and worthy. But all of a sudden, as you go through hardship, things that were once very black and white can come sometimes become gray, but yet your convictions get stronger. Does that make sense? Okay. And I feel like it's a season of us as the body of Christ where we need to look back on our life, however long it's been, whether you're 20 or you're 80, we need to look back on our life and we need to look at heaven and say, God, I still choose you. Like, I still say yes. There are things that have happened in my life that I don't understand. I can't even begin to understand them. But you know what? I still choose you. I know you didn't cause it. I know that there's no pain in heaven, yet somehow you were able to weep with me in, in my moment. See, what's amazing is there's no time in heaven. There's no time in heaven. The Bible says on earth as it is in heaven. And the Bible says God knows where we are. That he knows what we're going through. He knows our pain. And in the Bible, to know someone is not like, not like I know you because we just met. It's to know them. Adam knew Eve, and they conceived a child. It is this intimate bond and connection where two become one. It is to know someone. And so God says, I know what you're going through. I know where you've been. And so somehow, in the midst of our pain and sorrow and suffering, it's not like he's coming like this joy bubble, which he does sometimes. The other night, the other night I was having a hard mama moment. I have my hard mama moments. I walk through them. Grief is a process. Does anyone get that? Grief is a process. Amen. And remind me where I was. Well, no, I'm, I'm going to come back to where I was before I t said hard mama moment. I was having a hard mama moment, and... Getting off on a bunny trail really quickly. Has anyone ever felt like in, in the culture of walking out relationship with God, it's almost not okay to not be okay? Has anyone ever felt like that? Like it's not okay to have a bad day. Or have, like especially not okay to have a bad season. Well, I, like I'm a happy person. Like sometimes annoyingly so. Like I'm a glass half full almost all the time. Like when, our, when we were going through financial... I'm trying to use a not horrible word, heck, like five years ago, and our car got repossessed. We, they, they, the car people that came and towed our car left a strap, like one of the kind of expensive straps, like in the driveway. And I'm, I was sort of like, well, at least they gave us a strap. 
Like, that was sort of my take on it. Like, hey, we got a strap out of the deal. And so, like, that's, that's sort of how I, like, live my life for the most part. And there was this one point, and it was coming around Thanksgiving of 2013. So this is, I don't know, eight or so months after my mom passed away. And I was just having, like, four or five days that were really, really hard. And for a lot of people who have struggled with depression their whole life, especially four or five days seems like nothing. And so I'm not trying to compare my four or five days to, to people who have struggled with actually feeling depressed for, for years. But understand that for me, it, I just didn't know how to shake it. And I'm like one of those people, like I see grief and I'm going to feel the pain. I'm going to process the pain. I'm going to walk out the pain and then I'm going to keep going on. I'm going to go in the bathroom, wash my face, and then we're going to keep going forward. And I just could not shake this. And I just remember feeling like I just didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I'm like boohooing in the fetal position in our bed. And I'm like, I'm not going to Thanksgiving dinner. I don't want to hear about so-and-so's new house that they're building. I don't care. My mom's dead. And I was just having this pity party moment that lasted like four days. And I was just crying all day long. <clears throat> and I... I went and took a shower because my mom swore that taking a shower makes everything better. Like, does anyone ever feel, felt like that? Like, you've got a headache, go take a shower. Like, makes it, it wasn't that, it was like her medical cure for everything. You go take a shower and you'll be all better. And while I was in the shower, I heard the Lord say, Google the five stages of grief. And I thought, that's interesting. Okay, so I get out of the shower and I Google the five stages of grief. And one of the stages was depression. And it was like, oh, like, like this is a stage? Like it was almost like it gave me permission to understand that this is just a stage. I won't be here forever. And I just need to let my heart have grace to feel a stage. Does that make sense? What I found out since then, and I don't know a lot about it, so I'm not even going to try to talk about it. There's actually, a, I believe he's a believer, I think he's a believer. He added two other stages onto the five stages of grief. Has anyone heard of this? So it's like he has this seven stages of grief. And so after you get through the five, then there's these two that get added. And one of them is like power. It's basically taking what was meant for your destruction and how you use that for, to add power and strength and, 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 and fuel to your fire, essentially. So it's this really rad thing. And I, and I need to do more research on it before I talk about it, but this is a little encouraging thing. But it was almost like it gave me permission to not be okay. And understand that not being okay was a season. It isn't a lifestyle. Does that make sense? Okay. Where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you. So he says, I just want to read it again. I just want to come back to this. The Lord says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. I am intimately connected with their sorrows. I know them. Okay? And then it goes on and it says, But Moses said to God, But who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And see, this is what I love. God doesn't answer who he is. He doesn't say, Well, this is who you are and give him his resume of, you know, well, don't you, like, you're Moses. You're actually kind of a big deal. Like, like you're going to be talked about for like ever. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal, right, to be Moses? Moses. Part the Red Sea? Kind of a big deal? Yeah, yeah, get it? Just checking. Just, just checking. So, and so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. So he doesn't answer his question in response to saying, who are you? He just says, I am with you. And so in reality, it's not, it's not so much in this moment about who Moses is, but it's about who, who he is with God in him, with God with him. Okay. Now, mind you, this is Old Testament. This is before Jesus. This is before the Holy Spirit is living and breathing inside of you. Okay. This is kind of a big deal. Y'all looking at me a little bit like, how does this apply to my life right now? Well, I'm going to tell you. <clears throat> So, is anyone an external processor? Only two of you in this entire building, seriously. Five. Everyone else is internal processors. Who's an internal processor? 
some of you are like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. You're like, I'm not sure what I am. <laughs> external processors, they like process how they're feeling out loud. Internal processors like deal with it in their head and try to come up with their own little solution. Okay, external processors. Okay, internal processors. Okay, okay. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. Okay, I'm an external processor. Bless my husband's heart. <laughs> that means I, we call it puke processing, okay? Puke processing is where you're like, okay, baby, so all I need to do right now is I just need to puke all over you everything I'm feeling. And it may be something that happened 85 months ago, but I'm feeling it right now, so you're going to get puked on by all my stuff, okay? I don't need your help to, with processing it through. I just need you to let me talk it out. So... Well, that's actually not true. I ask for his help all the time. But, so I'm an external processor. So along this journey, if I look back, I really had four major moments of having to navigate pain and having to navigate the moment of hardship, along with others sprinkled in, because grief is a process. So moment one, okay, and it's important why I'm taking you on this journey. Moment one, my mom, my mom dies. I knew she was gonna. I knew she was gonna live. I knew she was not gonna die. She was uh, 63 years old. Her birthday is actually tomorrow. She'd be 65. I knew she was gonna live. And the moment that she died, everyone's praying for life to come back. And I heard the Lord say, "She wants to stay." And so I leaned down and I whispered in her. I said, "Mommy, I know you want to stay." I don't really blame you, and we're going to be okay. We're going to have really hard moments, but we'll get through it. So enjoy heaven, and I'll see you soon. And so I'm not looking at my sister. No. <laughs> Staying far, far away from her. Go away. No, I'm just kidding. I love you. Knock, knock. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll tell knock, knock jokes to make ourselves feel better. Okay. That's not in the five stages of grief. So it totally should be. I agree. So, and all of a sudden, so we're in our bedroom, and I'm, and I'm laying on the bed with her, and this overwhelming sense to worship God came over me. Like, I, I have to worship him. I can't do anything else. Like, I have to worship him. And it wasn't because, like, I needed him to feel near to me because he was, has anyone ever had somebody, like, die that was close to you and actually be there? It's like the veil is so thin and heaven is, like, like, you swear if you just stand up on your tippy toes, like, your head is inside of heaven. It's, like, it's the craziest thing. And so I just felt that just this overcoming need to worship him. So I get down on my knees and, I, and I'm at the foot of the bed and I, and I say, give me eyes to see more of who you are. May what I behold still my anxious heart. Take what I have known and break it all apart. For you, my God, are greater still. And the song goes on, and it's, the song is called The Greatness of Our God. It's ridiculously good. Listen to it. But there, and there's this line in the song that basically said, No life, no death can separate us. No life, no death will change how I feel about you. No life, no death can get me far away from you. Because there was one death that changed everything. And after that one death that changed everything, nothing from that point on can change the space between us. And so, thing two, we have these two babies, like I said, I've been dreaming, I don't know if I said this, forgive me, we've been, in some, we've been in several services, but I've been dreaming of adopting a baby since I was three years old. I made my mom throw away all my white babies, because I didn't want white babies. I wanted every other possible race of babies in my house. Like, white people are a little boring, I'm sorry. Not really, I'm just kidding. I love my white babies. I love my babies. But it's been a dream in my heart forever. And so we get matched with this birth mom. And it's like this miraculous story, right? Like, like we needed $13,000 to come in in five days. We raised $16,000 in two and a half days. Like the next week, we had somebody buy our $1,500 stroller because we needed a triplet stroller. There aren't so many of those around, and they're expensive. We had somebody buy all three of our car seats, all three of our cribs. I mean, like, everything falls into place for our babies to come home. 
two weeks before birth mom changes her mind. Birth mom was working as an escort when she got pregnant and wanted to go back into the lifestyle as soon as the babies were born. So then you wrestle. You wrestle with things like favor. You wrestle with things like, I'm very, very pregnant, and the birth of this baby somehow represents a loss because it was supposed to be three babies, and I only get one. So then we navigate that. And I remember the day that we're packing up embroidered blankets and taking apart cribs, and I just turned on worship music, and I sobbed my guts out. I just wept as I put these away. And just basically said, and it wasn't this overwhelming need, like sense of wanting to worship him. It was like, God, I don't understand this. I don't get it. But I know you're good. And I know you're faithful. Moment three. Our birth mom is, so we were told, 25 weeks pregnant with a second set of twins. Boy, girl. And she calls me at midnight and says, or calls me at one in the morning and said, both the babies have died. They're no longer here. So I'm driving to Sacramento Airport to pick up Bob because he was in L.A. and he flew home. And the whole time, how how many of you have the Bethel, um, You Make Me Brave album? Have any of y'all heard that album? Ridiculous album. Go get it. It's crazy. But there's a song on there called It Is Well. (gasps) So good. Christina Marco. And the, the chorus is like, it is well, it is well, it is well. And the whole drive to Sacramento, I have that, that song on, on repeat, two and a half hours. And I'm like banging my arm on the seat. Like, I am, I'm pissed. And there's no other better word for it. Like, I am mad. And I'm not mad at God. I'm mad at the justice of it. And I'm just going, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And this is navigating this and navigating this. And then I get a call at 3 o'clock in the morning that my daddy's in heaven. And all I feel from that is just this overwhelming peace. Because he was 88 and he had dementia and he's in a better place. And I had this one moment with him where I just lost it and wept. But my heart just feels so much peace surrounding it. And I'm really so thankful. I'm really so thankful. So, so each of these processes is different. Each emotion with each moment of loss or each moment of hardship is different. There isn't one cookie cutter square. It's, it's like if you try to get a cookie cutter of processing pain and even processing pain with the Lord, it's like putting a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't work. But here's what I know. God will meet you where you are. Whatever your thing is, whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you're feeling, whatever it is you felt in the past, if there's something that you keep coming back to and you can't get over, go back there. Have the Holy Spirit take you back there and see how he navigates your heart back through it. Because he was there the whole time. Sozo 101. We're not getting into that right now. It's amazing. I love it. My last one was two weeks ago, and it lasted almost three hours. Praise the Lamb. So <clears throat> why do I tell you all this? Well, some, somewhere right about here, and this is where, I'm, this is where the yes is so important, and there, and there is a reason I'm trying to take you on this journey. I will land this plane. I promise. You're all like, whatever, just give me my prophetic word. No, you're not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're not like that at all, I know. So somewhere around here, there was this moment that I recognized that I wasn't going deeper with God. See, that ocean of searching out his heart, it was like when this moment with mom happened, it was like this excavator came and just dug this new depth of hole, like of a hole into his heart. Did anyone see the movie um, Compelled by Love by Heidi Baker? Anyone see that movie? Okay. So there's this line in the movie, ridiculous, amazing movie. There's this one line in the movie where she says, people, does anyone not know who Heidi is? Does anyone, y'all know, y'all know who Heidi Baker is? Some of you must be, okay, she's like this phenomenal person, I don't even have words to describe her, closest thing to Jesus walking on our planet today, seriously. Um, she started over a thousand plus churches in Mozambique, feeds like a million kids a month, and her whole life message is stop for the one. So, and we've been in Africa with her several times, a couple times, and it doesn't matter how many kids, like, there's no schedule. Like, if you're planning on having dinner at 6 o'clock with Heidi, you're not going to get to dinner till 10, because every little kid that comes up for her, she stops for. Every single one. I don't even do that with my own kids. I'm like, excuse me, I got the snappy thing, I'm talking, I'm talking. Anyone else do that with their kids? Yeah, I don't even do that with my own kids, but she, yeah. So... 
There's a line in the movie, Compelled by Love, and she says, people tell me all the time that I'm their hero, but if they only knew him like I knew him, they wouldn't do anything less. She's given her life for him. She's had death threats. She's, she's tried to be killed several times. She's made sacrifices that most of this world knows not of. If you only knew him like I knew him, how could you do anything less? And somewhere along this timeline, I saw that movie and I thought, oh God, like, like I just want to know you like that. Like, I, I don't care what I did the rest of my life. Like, I just want to know you like that. And so somewhere along this timeline, I, I just felt like I wasn't going to the depths of his heart. I just, and for those of you like, that, that have felt those depths, I know so many of you, you, you just go deeper in your walk with him. And if, and if you feel like you, you're going deeper, deeper, and then all of a sudden it feels stagnant, it's almost like if you're not going deeper, you're standing still. Has anyone ever had that happen? It feels like you're going backwards. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, God, what am I doing wrong? And for some people, it's like, it, you, have to, you have to change what you're doing. Like, something different in worship, something different in, 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 in reading the word more, like discovering his heart in different things. But that, that's beside the point. So I, I just, I was struggling with this thing. And I heard him say, baby, you don't trust me. And I got like super defensive, which he was like really annoyed at me by. Yeah, right. I'm just kidding. It's okay. You can laugh. I got so defensive. I'm like, God, like, like I, I, I've, I've, I've like shouted your name from the mountaintops. Like, like I say you're faithful. I know your goodness. Like I've never questioned your goodness. Like even in the depths of despair of my soul, like I know you're faithful. There's been one moment in my life, it was five years ago, that I said, I, I don't want to do this. Like, this is too hard. And that was just over losing money stuff. Like, how st- stupid was that in comparison to the last 20 months? Not stupid. I'm not trying to devalue your feelings on things. Sorry. Don't send me an email, please. <laughs> but it was like, I got so defensive about it. And I said, God, I, I do trust you. And he goes, no, baby, you don't trust me with your life. See, you trust me with everything else. Like with your, any possessions, that's a duh. Even your kids. Like you take your kids all over the planet. You trust me with them. But you don't trust me with your life because if you trust me with your life and you die, then your kids are going to have to live the way you're living right now without a mom. And you don't trust me with that. Oh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, you're right. Like, like I don't trust you with my life. So two weeks go by, and it's worship Sunday morning, and we sang, like, the whole worship set was, like, carved out for me. Has anyone ever had that happen? Like, the whole worship set was like, thank you very much, that was for me. I was that one person in the room. We sang songs like Cornerstone that we sang tonight, which that song just flipping wrecks me every time. Like, you make me brave, oceans, all these songs about trusting God. (laughs) And so at the end, I was on my face, and I'm like, okay, I'm making the decision. I'm choosing to trust you. And I say Yes. I say yes. And the heavens opened, and angels descended upon me, and I manifested for three days. No, I'm just kidding. That totally didn't happen. That'd be awesome, though, wouldn't it? Ah! I'd love that. I'd just say that could happen. I've told him he could do whatever he wants at any point in time, and I've, I haven't, I've yet to have that like crazy, shaky, floppy, whatever thing I have I have yet to have it happen now I'm like I'm like a little scared saying that right now because I'm just waiting watch yeah that would be hilarious if I just went out I think it'd be hilarious personally but so the angels did not descend or anything like that but I just said God I choose to trust you two weeks later Bob's at a conference and and all of a sudden I was worshiping going to bed and it was like the grace filled the room for the decision that I had made two weeks prior. Because, and we were talking about this at lunch, because it's not that the grace precedes the decision and then you make the decision. It's the emotion follows the decision. The grace follows the decision. But it is you going, okay, God, I trust you. It's Peter stepping out of the boat. It's Peter stepping out of the boat. People knock on Peter because he sank, but he was the only one who stepped out of the boat. Exactly. And here's the other thing, and then I'm going to land the plane. 
The other piece is along this journey, Bob gives this phenomenal word picture that I just love it. And he says, Jesus is standing before you and he has a sword at your chest. And he says, come here. Because you must die that he might live. It's a hard word to take. For a lot of people, it's a, nah, just, I don't know that I'm there yet. And if you're not, that's okay. He'll give you grace to get there, to walk through the sword. But you must die that he might live. And the steps are painful. And so for me, now, does that mean that, and see, this is where, and don't get into a theological debate on this, I'm not going to, but this is where you're navigating his goodness through pain is a part of walking through that sword. You're navigating obedience is a part of walking through that sword. There's so many things that are a part of walking through that sword. You're turning off the TV at night and spending an extra 30 minutes reading your Bible. It's an obedience and a part of walking through the sword. There's so many things. But here's the thing about pain. So, so my mom's in glory, and I'm sick, and I don't feel good. It's like six months later. And my husband's out of town on a conference, and for whatever reason, all my friends and family all have little bitty kids, so it's not like they can like come. And if I'm sick, they definitely can't come over to my house. So, so I'm at home, and I'm by myself with four children, and I'm sick. And I'm like in this, I need my mom moment. Okay? So I'm like, I'm a little pissed off at her for leaving. Sorry, I shouldn't say that word. I'm a little mad at her for leaving. <laughs> and so I have one of those moments where I'm just, I'm just gut checked. So what happens when you walk through the sword, when you go through it? Well, you... You, you, if you feel pain, you wince, like you, you're in pain. And your automatic tendency is you just, you close your eyes, and you can't see him in this position. Like you just, you can't see him, your focus isn't him. And I don't care if you're still in this position, but what you have to do is you have to open your eyes and you have to see him. You have to look at him. Peter sank when he took his eyes off of him. That's why he sank. And so if you're wincing in pain, if you're wincing in your hardship, if you're wincing in your trial, focus on him. See him. His eyes will give you strength to stand up and take another step into that sword. Because it's who he is. Because it's what his word said. Because he's faithful and because he's good. So after this encounter where I, I, the grace filled the room to trust him, from that moment until this very moment right here, I have a feeling in my stomach that does not leave, that is a hunger to know his heart. It's a desperation to go to the depths. And it is this, that I would walk through the last 20 months from now to the rest of my life over and over and over again if it meant I got to keep this. Now what's amazing is I don't have to, but I do it. And the bottom line is, is I reposture my heart towards heaven and I said, after the birth of a baby, when I looked at my husband and said, I still choose you. After the loss of this last year, I looked at heaven and I said, God, I still choose you and I still say yes. And I don't care what it looks like, but I say yes. yes. So fast forward, it's Sunday night, a week ago today. And we are in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this girl comes up to me after church. <clears throat> She's like this little young girl from the back. And she didn't even go to that church. She went to like this AG church down the road. And she was kind of nervous and a little, seemed a little... I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this arrogantly. She, she, she felt, seemed a little intimidated and just kind of reserved. And, and she came up to me and she said, um, I, just, I just saw this picture of you and I have this word for you. And I'm like, absolutely. And I'm like all excited because like, I'm like everyone else. I love prophetic words. Give them to me, baby. I'll write them down even if they don't make sense. And so she goes, I just saw this picture of you holding this like little African-American baby. And, and she said, and I just have to tell, I feel like I have to tell you that like, your adoption, and she knew a little bit about our adoption story. She goes, your adoption will be easy. It will just, it will fall in your lap. And, 
And I thought, okay, like, that's great. I received that. And my spirit got excited, and, and my weary soul felt a little, like, okay, thank you. Yeah, right, if I'm being really honest. And so it's the next day. It's Monday, and we're driving to Texas. Now, this is our first drive to Texas with Mommy and Daddy being in glory. And um, the house that they lived in, sold, the house that I grew up in, the house that was there for, they've had it for, what, 40, 40 years. And so it's the only house I've ever known. And so it was my first time coming back home and with so much of what represented home not being here, yet obviously still being so excited to see my family and all of that, but understanding that there, there is loss. And so I've been a little bit just like anxious about that feeling. Like, what is that going to feel like? How, is, how are we going to navigate that? And this is the external processor in me that's like puking all over my husband all the time. And so we're driving uh, to Texas from Albuquerque. And I text our adoption attorney. And I just texted him about something to do with our, our second, uh, the adoption of our second set of twins. And um, just saying, like, I'm just feeling like I'm needing some closure in this area. And it's a long story. But anyway, he texts back and he said, he said, well, he goes, let's talk a little bit more about that next week. But um, in the meantime, he said, I have another situation that's presented itself if you would like to hear about it. And we've, understanding, we've, we've heard about probably five or six different situations in the last two or three months. Um, but none of them have been right. And, I mean, they're anywhere from... $30,000 to $40,000, and, and it's not just that. It's just there were multiple reasons why they didn't feel right. Now, understanding, my, like, dream would have been a stork drop adoption near or around my mom's birthday, which is tomorrow, because I thought, like, how amazing would that be, right? Like, a baby born, like, where I'm, like, celebrating planning a baby's birth, like, around my mom's birthday, right? Big deal. At least it was to me. Like, redeem sort of the day. And so anyway, um... So he says, African-American baby girl, four months old, are you interested? And I was like, sure. And he goes, okay, great, call you later. <laughs> and I'm like, um, excuse me, that doesn't really work for me. Like, you need to call me now. Like, I need more details. So they were like, well, we'll call you in two hours. And I'm a pacer. Is anyone else a pacer? Like, when you're talking on the phone? Like, when I'm on the phone in my house, this is literally me. And my husband makes fun of me for it all the time because I cannot sit still. And so I'm like, and I can't pace in the car. So I'm like, I'm doing this. I'm like trying to like listen to music. I'm like watching TED Talks on my phone. I'm like doing whatever I can to like make the time go by faster. All my interns were in the car with me. It was, they were, it was funny. So anyway, I'm like trying to come up with baby names and I'm totally going there. And my husband who, we've had our hearts like broken a hundred times, not a hundred times, but twice really badly on this whole adoption thing. And it's just, it's a process. I'd take labor any day over adoptions. Granted, I have epidurals, but that's beside the point. I would, take, I would take labor any day over adoption. And so Bob is, like, not getting excited about naming this child with me. And he's like, and I'm, I'm getting a little annoyed at him. I'm like, come on, baby, like, get excited. And he's like, no, that's okay, thanks. So what I didn't know was, was when I texted our adoption attorney, he happened to be meeting with a birth mom that had this four-month-old baby. Who he, she's tried really hard to be able to keep her. She just because of her circumstances, she just can't keep her. It just is, it just won't work. And so he's meeting with this birth mom, and he is presenting her with families to choose to be able to adopt this baby. And he says, you know, there's just one other family that I would like to present to you, but you know, they I haven't they haven't really said yes that they're in yet, and so I don't really know. It's kind of a risk, you know. So she said, okay. So she takes them. What we don't know is, is before we ever even heard more about them, about this baby, she already had said, I think Bob and Kimberly are perfect, and I really want them to adopt her. So they call us, and they give us the whole story about this baby. She was born in May. She's four months old, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, the total cost to adoption is going to be about $7,000, which is unheard of in the adoption world. That's ridiculously inexpensive. And so I turn to Bob, but it's still $7,000, which is still a chunk of money. So I'm like, I'm writing everything down. Bob's hearing one side of the call, and I like, so I get off the phone with him, and so I tell Bob the whole situation. I'm like, she wants us. Here's the whole story, and I give him this, like, I'm like, I'm done at this point. I'm crying, and I ask him, I said, can we keep her? Like, is she ours? 
And he said, yes. And now he's crying. So then I am just, I, I am like, I am undone at this point. Like, I am just undone before the Lord. We're like getting close to DFW and we're seeing like Dallas signs. And this moment that I just knew was going to be this tumultuous moment in my life or this hard moment in my life was now one of the greatest moments in my life up there with like the births of my children kind of moments. Okay, so I'm like weeping. They're all like, they were all right there for this whole thing. So they're all done as well. So we keep driving and we're getting really close to my sister's house. We're like less than three miles from her house. And I get a text from a friend that says, how much is the adoption going to cost? And I text her back and I said, it's going to be about 7000 And she texts back and she said, I have it and it's yours. It will be in your account in the morning. So within three hours, we went from adoption being so far off our radar. It was like, it was nuts, wasn't it? Like one of the craziest things ever, right? So I'm like, I turned around and I'm like, this is the best internship ever. <laughs> and, and seriously, to this day, it's, it's the greatest miracle I've ever physically witnessed in my life. Because ad- adoption is hard and it's challenging and it's all these things. And so, we, and so then I, I text our adoption attorney. I said, can we see her? And I had a picture of her last, the last services, and I didn't, I should have emailed it to you guys. Um, I said, can we see her? I'll try to pull it up. And so they text us a picture of her, and I mean, undone is the best word that I can use. Can y'all see it from way back there? So this is, and, and we also found out her name given to her by, at birth was Azaria Victoria. Azaria means Yahweh is my helpmate, and Victoria means victory. And the one request a birth mom has is that we keep her, her given birth, her, her first birth name. And so we named her Azaria Ellie Victory Johnson. And here's what's really crazy. So the birth mom will be signing papers this week, which means on my mom's birthday week, she will legally be our baby. Oh, it gets better. We're driving home. <laughs> We're driving home. We're scheduled to drive home. Everyone say grace with all of our 85 children in the car. We find out that there's a, there's a legal 10-day waiting period from the time she meets with an adoption service provider, a 10-day legal waiting period. That legal 10-day waiting period is the day before we were scheduled to drive through her town anyway, which means we get to pick her up on the drive home from Texas. And there's about six million other prophetic things that go along with that that I can't get into right now because we will be here all night. But the point is, she, and then we get here and we're supposed to be talking about breakthrough. That's what we're talking about. This whole trip has been all about breakthrough. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So I don't know what it is you need breakthrough on in your life. I don't know what you've been through, but I know pain, I know hurt. I know loss. And I know that you have a God that's, he's, he's not a God of just enough. He's a God of such radical abundance that he wants to leave you undone in his presence. Where it's like, it's almost like you just can't do anything but just sit there. Like I just, I had this feeling like, and this is a graphic feeling, but forgive me, you're just going to have to work through it. I hope you're not squeamish. But I had this feeling like my entire body, like my intestines, everything, like it was just outside of my body. And I'm just undone. Like I'm just wrecked. <laughs> because if I had painted the picture of the perfect redemptive story for the last 20 months, I couldn't have painted it as good as he did. And that's his heart for you. And this is your such a time as this moment. And this is your season for breakthrough. So what I want you to do is I want you to put your hands out. Yeah, please. Yeah, I don't know where the other mic is. This one? But you need to hear 
in between the lines, stay here because you're going to finish. In between the lines, when, when God gives you something to do and it doesn't work, our adoptions, two of them, he provided supernaturally $40,000 while knowing they weren't going to work. Huh? Sixteen thousand dollars in two and a half days came in because we had to have it in order to say yes to the first two. But he knows it's not going to work. But he still provided more than enough. So sometimes. We know we're supposed to do what we're doing, and it just backfires and blows up in our face because there's been answer after answer after answer and provision, and all of a sudden, boom, it blows up and going, did I miss it? Did I, what, what happened? Even though God knows, because he's omniscient and all-knowing, that this particular thing is not going to be the one, he's still going to be faithful. So when we shipwreck... We have to tighten our bootstraps up, stand back up and say, God, you're faithful. I don't get it. I don't understand. And still feel like I got the wind knocked out of me. But God knowing, he still provided. That doesn't make sense. Does it? In our, in our rational mind. But he still did it because he loves us. And so in that process, she's gonna, my wife's going to pray. You may have knew you were doing the right thing. You knew God was in it. And then the bottom fell out. Stand back up. Said, God, you haven't changed your mind. Because he changes not. So I'm not either. Oh, there you are. Okay, so... So I just want you to put your hands out in front of you. And I just want you to ask him, just quietly to yourself, I'm not going to make you shout it out. See, the thing is, is he knows, even if you don't know, he knows. The word agape, which is the word for love, agape love, it's how he loves us, it's how he's called us to love one another. The definition for the word agape is it's a love that's relentlessly contending for the highest best in every area and will keep contending until that best is made manifest. And that's how he loves you. He is contending for the highest best in every area of your life. Not just the areas that you may seem as major areas, but is in every area of your life. And he's going to keep contending until that best is made manifest. So even if you don't know what the area is, just put your hands out. So I just release a spirit of breakthrough in the room that would overtake each and every person. That there would be tangible shift in their life in the name of Jesus. Tangible shift in their life. God, that you would give them the wisdom to see it from heaven's perspective. You would give them wisdom to understand that if they were to alter, if you were to alter their course even one degree now, it would set them off by miles for their destiny. God, I thank you for people coming around them and prophesying truth to them. I thank you for giving them the grace to trust you and the grace to say yes. So if you feel it, if you feel the grace to say yes, I want you to repeat after me and say, God, I say yes to you. And I receive whatever you have to give me. Now put it in your heart. Amen.